Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Smirconish Podcast for Independent Minds. Okay, and now something that I think is going to be really special to sort of wind down what's been a pretty good week here. In Philadelphia, there's a group called the Committee of 70. They were established in 1904 to combat corruption in Philadelphia. Uh, From some of their marketing materials, they say, in the darkest of deep division, partisan political conflict where Americans were terrifyingly vulnerable to miss and disinformation, the Committee of 70 is a bright light, a trusted voice. They are headed by David Thornburg, son of former governor and attorney general Richard Thornburg. David's been a guest on this program. David now, by the way, moving on to a new not-for-profit good government endeavor. And that's what the Committee of 70 is. All right. So last night they celebrated their 117th anniversary. They had a very special event, part virtual, part live. And Wednesday, for last night's presentation... They gave me the privilege of interviewing at length Congressman James Clyburn. So with permission from the Committee of 70, I'm able to share with you this very relevant conversation. I will tell you that the dialogue begins with me talking about him and how he factors into the hottest book in the country. He tells stories about his endorsement of Joe Biden which was at a pivotal moment in the 2020 cycle. Uh, We talk about the situation with the infrastructure, the competing infrastructure bills. And then a little bit later, we we talk about, you know, just how imperiled democracy is. I thoroughly enjoyed my time with him. And I think you're really going to find this to be a a good POTUS-like conversation. So complete with my introduction, this is television, Michael, as TV, TC would say, right? You always say, oh, you sound different on a different, different tone of voice. Okay. So this is a little hybrid because here I am radio guy, (laughs) but here comes the television version with, uh, with, with Congressman Clyburn. Majority Whip James Clyburn has served in the United States Congress for the past 28 years, representing South Carolina's sixth congressional district. He's the third-ranking Democrat and one of the most influential leaders in the Democratic Party. He previously served as the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus and is a sought-after endorsement of Democrats seeking to become president of the United States. He's been focused on legislation and policies that support economic development and has been the architect of many initiatives that have become law, including key funding formulas in the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. Please welcome our friend, James Clyburn. Congressman, nice to see you. 
Thank you very much for having me. So the hottest book in the country right now is Peril, written by Bob Woodward and Robert Costa. You're laughing already. That's a good thing. You know that General Milley gets a lot of attention in the book, but so do you. And there's a story told in the book that I want to confirm. It's the Biden inauguration and two American presidents, President Clinton and President Bush, George W. Bush, both single you out and tell you, same word, you are the savior, that but for you, it would have been Donald Trump reelected. First of all, is the story true? There is some truth to that. Uh, I'm not too sure uh, which word is best, savior or saver. Uh, George W. and I uh, are both golfers. And, you know, uh, S-A-V-E-R is the word that we prefer, saving power. Uh, and of course, uh, saving strokes. Uh, savior takes on another uh, meaning. And so I would much rather be saver. When you look back at the last presidential cycle and you think about the role that you played, do you sometimes wonder what would have happened if you had not come forward when you did and endorsed then Vice President Biden? Yes, I do. And I give credit for that to my late wife. Uh, you know about my so-called world famous fish fry. Um, at the fish fry in 2019, um, we had over 20 uh, candidates for president uh, attending the fish fry. Uh, it turned out to be the biggest we'd ever had. Uh, so big, the uh, fire department and the police uh, de- uh, department uh, sort of closed the gates, wouldn't let anybody else in. And so that night after the fish fry, and I got home, my wife, who was ailing with diabetes at the time, uh, could not come to the fish fry. So I sat at her bedside uh, as she was getting her nightly uh, peritoneal treatment. Uh, and I started sharing with her uh, what had happened at the fish fry. And I said to her, I said, you know, uh, we're going to have a tough time this year. Uh, we got over 20 candidates running for president. Uh, some of them are very close friends of ours. Uh, it's going to be tough trying to make a decision. And she said to me, uh, I don't care how tough it's going to be. I don't care how many friends we got in the race. If we really want to win, we'd better nominate Joe Biden. And she uh, was, uh, so she had said it all of that. Uh, so this was like uh, May or June. She passed away uh, September 19th, uh, which was about four months before the South Carolina primary. So all of that was weighing heavily on me uh, when it was getting down to decision time. And about three days before uh, the debate down in Charleston, I went to a funeral and ran into a lady that I had never met before. Uh, And when she asked me, who I was going to uh, vote for in the primary. And I told her, uh, if you had seen the look on your face, you would understand why I became so emotional uh, in that endorsement. So here, these two African-American women, uh, both of whom uh, saying to me uh, that we needed Joe Biden. Uh, And so um, uh, though I was going to vote for Joe, uh, the, the emotions in the endorsement, Uh, came from those two experiences. 
Okay, which is a perfect setup for me to then ask you, of all people, how's he doing? He's got a full plate. He is doing very well. He has some challenges uh, no president has ever had. Uh, we have never seen uh, the, a country uh, so divided. Now, history has. This country was divided over uh, the Civil War. Uh, we had some a lot of a lot of divisions uh, back in the '60s uh, that I was a part of. Uh, but uh, for a country to be so divided with the truth being so far uh, from uh, any presence in any of it, how can you lead a country when people don't believe? in science, or at least pretend not to, uh, when people don't accept uh, the inner workings of a democracy. So President Biden has some challenges no president has had uh, since maybe uh, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. Congressman, I know you see the polling data, the same data that I see. You probably see much more detailed information. He's underwater with independents right now. Having won them by 13 points, he's at minus 13. And I would argue he's in desperate need of a win. Why not give him the win on the $1.2 trillion infrastructure package? We're going to do that. Uh, But we have to understand uh, that it's one thing uh, to savage our roads and our bridges. It's one thing to deepen our ports and fix our rails. All of that needs to be done. But we have got to do something about the human spirit. Too many people are losing confidence uh, in the government to do what needs to be done. Too many people are leaving, losing confidence in whether this country's democracy can, in fact, survive. We've got a wealth gap that's widening in this country along racial lines. We got a health gap that's widening around rural, among rural versus uh, urban. These kinds of challenges have got, these are infrastructure issues. And Neil's saying that the human infrastructure is just as important uh, as the physical infrastructure uh, that we are working with. So you have to balance these things. And I'll give you an example, even within our party, and I've been trying to get people to understand that I'm all for healthcare. But when you start talking about we are we don't have a, enough money for poor people because we got to spend money on rich people getting dental and vision care, and that's what you're doing when you expand uh, Medicare because everybody, we don't means test Medicare, millionaires get Medicare. And so low-income people can't get Medicaid And that's the kind of stuff that we are working with. And so we're going to give him a double win. And I think that 13 will flip again. Are Senators Manchin and Sinema the problem or the solution? Well, I think that they could be a solution. I think that it's good uh, for people to question things, to challenge things. Look, challenging the status quo is something that needs to be done all the time. But let's not lose sight on what the goal is. The goal is not to carry out a challenge. The goal is to find a solution to problems. And if that process that you're going through 
will prevent us from getting to a solution, then we've got to do something about the process. That's why we don't let any one person stop the budget. Uh, that's why we have reconciliations when it comes to doing budget stuff, because we aren't going to let one person uh, initiate a filibuster and threaten the ability of the country uh, to do its business. That's why you hear a lot of talk today that maybe we ought to get rid of the filibuster uh, in order to do something about the debt, even among those people who don't want to get rid of the filibuster to do something about constitutional rights. Because the full faith and credit of the United States ought not be filibustered by any one person. And I think that that's the challenge that we have today. You know that history suggests that your party, the Democratic Party, will lose 26 seats in the midterm election. That's typically what happens for a president's party during the midterm election. Respond to those who say, if Democrats, I hear this from some of my radio callers, if Democrats spend, quote unquote, all that money, they are guaranteeing Republican control of the House of Representatives. And you can say hello to Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Well, I would say to them that if your emphasis is on how much money you spend rather than how much good you do or how many problems you solve or what good you do uh, to move this country uh, to a better place, if that is going to be your criteria, you're probably right. And we are long for democracy. What we've got to do is address the problems that exist in this society. Too many people or being undereducated or not educated at all. Too many people are sick without health care that they need. Uh, too many things need to be done in, in our communities in order for people to have clean drinking water, for people to have uh, the health care that they need. So these things are important. And that's why I've been saying to, uh, to everybody, let's stop talking about what the number is. And let's start talking about what we're trying to do here. We're trying to make sure uh, that when uh, young children go to school, uh, they have enough health care in order to do well in school. We're trying to make sure uh, that when high school uh, children graduate, we got enough uh, post-secondary education for them in order to prepare themselves for lives. Uh, for their for, for livelihoods. So that's where we are. But every time I, I get up in the morning, I hear 1.5, 3.5. I don't hear anybody talking about health care, education, fixing the problems that exist in our society. And I guarantee you, uh, when you fix these problems, nobody's going to ask you how much did it cost. Quick final question, and then I'll, I'll conclude this part of our dialogue. I hope you'll give me an answer. You are the House Majority Whip. To me, that's like herding cats. Which is harder for you to corral, the problem solvers or the progressives? They both have their challenges. Because, you know, uh, as you can see, I'm black. Uh, I, I don't, you know, because I'm black, I'm a member of the Congressional Black Caucus. Uh, I've been in Congress almost 30 years. I've never... Uh, join any of the others. I'm not a progressive by membership or a problem solver or a blue dog. I'm a Democrat. And I do participate in the Congressional Black Caucus because for some strange reason, 
Uh, I can't deny that existence. Uh, so uh, they all uh, have their challenges. Michael Smirkanish. Okay, gang, here comes part two. Again, just allow me to reset. What are we listening to? Obviously, it's me. You recognize James Clyburn's voice as well, the number three Democrat in the House, the majority House whip, a very important role, as you just heard me discussing with him, you know, not called upon to whip votes yet for the $1.2 trillion infrastructure package. Last night, the Committee of 70, which is a not-for-profit good government group established in 1904 to combat corruption in my hometown of Philadelphia, celebrated their 117th anniversary. Congrats to the Committee of 70. And they asked me if I would interview Congressman Clyburn, an interview that I did on Wednesday, post-radio, for last night's celebration. So I've already spoken to him about the pivotal role that he played in the 2020 cycle when he endorsed Joe Biden just before the South Carolina primary. We're now going to talk about Facebook, and we're going to talk about democracy, and we're going to talk about Donald Trump. I think you'll find this most interesting. I thoroughly enjoyed my time with him, found him really, really engaging. And I'm just so happy that the Committee of 70 is allowing me to play this now on POTUS. Congressman, this Facebook whistleblower has gotten a tremendous amount of attention this week. Is it time to rethink Section 230? Is it time to rethink the immunity that social media platforms have been provided? Absolutely. You know, this whole notion uh, that we ought not have regulations, that is just crazy stuff. Uh, You are regulated in your business. I'm regulated in mine. There are rules that we have to live by based upon what's the best for society. And we made a tremendous mistake, I believe, very strongly. Now, you and I probably won't agree on this because of my own daughter, uh, who served about nine years on the Federal Communications Commission, uh, disagreed with me on this. And that's fine. But I think we made a big mistake when we got rid of the fairness doctrine. I really believe uh, that what we have allowed uh, people to do is weaponize the airwaves in such a way that it's driving people apart. And to have any entity as influential as we know uh, social media to be uh, without any kind of constraints, that's a real big problem. Uh, We govern people's conduct uh, with speech in person. So why don't we govern their conduct over the airwaves? That's a problem that we have created for ourselves. And I think we made a big mistake uh, with the Federal Communications Commission. And we're making the same big mistake with social media. Well, I actually think that bombastic personalities have driven us into this polarization ditch. You're right. I do question whether the fairness doctrine is the way to solve it. But the reason I'm so closely paying attention to Facebook is that this is much more subtle. You've got people going into Facebook's news feed each and every day and being fed information, not recognizing that Facebook's got your number. They want to stir the pot. They want to pit us against one another. And they want you to keep coming back for more information. When you turn on Fox News... When you turn on a cable outlet, I think you know what you're getting. I'm afraid that people don't recognize what they're being fed by Facebook. I think you're right about that. Uh, it's, uh, it's a much more complicated issue uh, than I uh, just made it. And I think you put your finger right on it. it the subtleties are there. 
you wake up and don't know exactly why you're feeling the way you're feeling. Uh, and that is what is so bad about what is going on with Facebook. Uh, and to see uh, this Instagram or whatever it is uh, that seems to be running uh, young, especially young women, this stuff has got to stop. When people don't know what's happening to them, we ought to govern the people who got some ways uh, to create that phenomenon. Congressman Robert Kagan recently published an essay in the Washington Post. I'll bet you saw it. The headline was, Our Constitutional Crisis is Already Here. Even if you didn't read the yeah. essay, are we now in the midst of a constitutional crisis? I did uh, uh, glance through that, that, that essay, and I labored for a while on the headline because I have been saying for some time now, uh, you may not remember back in 2018, uh, the night before his State of the Union address, I said uh, to Don Lemon uh, that uh, 45 was not intending to give up the office. I said it then. I was chastised severely by a lot of people for having said it because I compared him that night to Mussolini. Uh, and now uh, I'm seeing that a lot of people are comparing him to Mussolini. In fact, the night he came uh, home from the, uh, came back to the White House from the hospital with COVID-19 and went on the Truman balcony, uh, he was referred to the next morning uh, by one uh, talking head as assuming a Mussolini stance. So yes, we are already in a constitutional crisis. Uh, we just have not broken ourselves yet. But if we don't do things like get Facebook under control and all other so, uh, social media, if we won't do things like get this country's debts paid, stop using uh, all kinds of processes to uh, muddle up the works of the country, that is a big, big problem. Now, you know, I tell people all the time, if I didn't know history as well as I do, and I don't know one-tenth of what I should know, I might not be concerned about this. But I've studied what happened in Germany uh, after a free election. Uh, Hitler was absolutely popular, elected as chancellor, and set out to discredit the institutions of a great country and became a dictator. This man was elected president and set out to uh, bring discredit on the institutions, uh, referring to the media or the press, if you please, as the enemy of the people. That's bad stuff. And that stuff uh, is ruining us. January 6th was a trial run. We had better do something about it and do it quickly. So one of my observations is to say that it's, it's not all tied to one personality, right? I mean, 74, 75 million. So, so even if he's not a candidate in 2024, the forces that would vote for him are still among us. What is it we need to say to all of them? It's not just what we say. It is what we do. That's why I think we have to start solving problems rather than creating them. That's why I say, it, people I talk to now, they seem to think that you, you really make it in this 
uh, country uh, when you can create a good headline, uh, how many hits you get uh, for some uh, smart alec uh, comment you made, rather than creating ways that we make headway for the American people. We've got to solve the problems. We should not have uh, health care uh, not uh, sufficient in rural communities. We ought not have education uh, insufficient uh, in uh, communities of color. We've got to make the greatness of the society accessible and affordable by all of its citizens. That's the pledge I made to the people that I represent way back yonder, and I try to keep that pledge. That's why I came up with that 10, 20, 30 formula, so that we could target resources where they are needed, rather than keep giving things to people because they've got merit. You know, it's like Jim Folsom, big Jim Folsom, not the young Jim Folsom, who said one time, uh, I believe in merit. The Alabama merit system, my friends got more merit than my enemies. That's what we're doing here. There was a book that was written after the 2016 cycle by Ben Bradley Jr., the son of, and it was called The Forgotten, and it was about Luzerne County, Pennsylvania. I'm a Pennsylvanian lifelong, and it's about the, uh, one county in the northeastern part of the state where arguably it tipped the balance of power for, for Donald Trump. Uh, my point is this. There are a lot of white working class folks who think they're now getting the short end that in a world of changing demographics and jobs being outsourced and the world, as Tom Friedman says, gone flat, that they come out on the short end of the stick, we need to reach them. And as you say, do things for them. Those are, you know, that's my input, my two cents. I agree with that. And, you know, but it's not just uh, uh, white. The same thing goes with black. The, the best example I could give you, if you look at what happened uh, coming out of the Great Depression, Everybody says that Franklin Roosevelt did this great job uh, bringing us out of the Great Depression. Social Security got so many seniors out of poverty. Well, the fact of the matter is, when Social Security went in place, it did not cover domestic workers. Who were the domestic workers? There were black folks in the South. It did not cover farm workers. Who were the farm workers? The people who had just come off uh, the, the farms, the plantations here in the South. We created these pockets of poverty throughout the South. And what we are doing now is about to do the same thing with this recovery package. That's why I've been trying to get my uh, folks to understand. There's a big difference in Medicaid and Medicare. Because Medicare uh, is for everybody wealthy alike. Medicaid, low-income people. So we cannot do the same today with this problem that we did back in the 1930s. That's why every time somebody tells me uh, that Joe Biden is going to be another FDR, I say, I hope not. Congressman, what do you most want to know about January 6th? The most I want to know is who paid for it. Follow the money. Find it and follow it. I don't care about who came here. Uh, it can be the Boogaloo Boys or whoever they are. Somebody financed it. And that's how you solve the problem. Find out who paid for it. And you think financed with the intent of stopping the Congress from certifying the vote and enabling the House of Representatives to then call the shot? Absolutely. Everything on January 6th 
was about getting rid of a fair, unfettered election. Probably, I know the fairs in my lifetime. I've never seen an election with so much participation, with so many guardrails, and yielding a result uh, that is being challenged by those who would much rather an autocracy than a democracy. You know that many states, under the guise of, of strengthening ballot security, have changed their voter laws. Is there a realistic process of there being some type of Voting Rights Act implemented by the Congress before the midterm election? If we don't, we can kiss democracy goodbye. Uh, because, remember, this is not just about whether not black folks vote. Look at what they did in Georgia and what they're attempting to do in Texas. It's about nullifying the results of an election if you don't like the outcome. And that is what is at stake here. Whether or not we allow Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, great speech, everybody talk about how I have a dream. It wasn't about a dream. It was about interposition and nullification. That's the way he concluded that speech. I'm going back to the South where these governors uh, have interposition and nullification dripping from their lips. That's what he was talking about. It is here. We are attempting for the first time in my 80-plus years to see nullification on steroids. Final question. What's the good news? I feel like we've bummed everybody out. <laughs> well, the good news is that January 6th came and went without success. It'll be better news if we find the source and do what is necessary for it to never happen again. But you cannot do that with partisanship. We've got to come together in a bipartisan way and root out these causes and make sure that we put guardrails in place that will not allow it to happen again. Congressman, thank you so much. Next time, don't hold back. Next time, tell us what you really think, okay? <laughs> Do that. Thank you, Congressman. Thank you very much for having me. All right, there you go. Congressman James Clyburn, number three Democrat in the House, the House Majority Whip. When they finally decide, hey, we're going to push the 1.2 or whatever the 3.5 trillion measure has become, he will have outsized importance. He, of course, played a critical role in 2020 relative to the election of Joe Biden, because I argue that but for Clyburn, you would have been looking at Democratic nominee Bernie Sanders. And I'll go a step further. And President Donald Trump for a second term. So if you were here at the outset of the conversation that I had with him, you know who agrees with me? George W. Bush and Bill Clinton, both of whom called him a saver or savior uh, at the inauguration uh, when greeting him as Joe Biden was being sworn in. The Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. Listen to Michael Smirconish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. 
spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.